This is an Ask Brothers production. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Ask Brothers Rant. Download all our content on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Spotify. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to smash that subscribe button. Enjoy. Welcome to another edition of Thursday Night Live, the show that cheers everyone up. So, Max, cheer me up. <laughs> I was actually interested to see this week, Darren, if you were going to uh, if you were going to be able to maintain your positive outlook, and if we were really going to talk about football that much at all, because it's boring as batshit at the moment. Twitter is boring me. Arsenal fans are boring me. The same mundane conversation between Arsenal fans are boring me. So I don't know, Darren. That's a good way to start a podcast. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I I tend to agree with you. You I'm still enjoying watching Arsenal because I'm watching it from a different perspective to most people. Um, I'm I'm, I'm enjoying this new group of young players. Um, (laughs) Sorry, I've just seen the first comment that's coming already calling us the the C word. I'm going to try and refrain from saying it too much until we get on to Mike (laughs) Dean. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I, I, I'm a post fan. I'm enjoying watching this group of young players. I'm enjoying that. But there's just too much football at the moment. Every bloody night, every bloody weekend, all through the weekend. And it's just wall to wall. And I'm getting a bit bored with it. It's just a bit too much. I think there's something to be said about the frequency of the games in particular. Like the fact that we're playing every every three days or every four days. And it's not like it's every three days and it's different competitions and we're seeing different teams and different groups of players run out, which is kind of what, you know, it used to be that the League Cup would be on and you would get excited because you were going to see all the kids run out and play and it would be a different style of football. But it really very much is the same 11 playing the same way every three days. And then there seems to be this, the, the, the second part of it seems to be that in such a compressed season, it feels like managers have adopted very, very similar tactics across the Premier League. Like, there's not a lot of difference, like a lot of styles between watching different teams and coming up against different teams at the moment. Everyone seems to be trying to come out fast, smash a goal, sit in a low block. Low block is the word of 2021. And it's dull. It's dull to watch. <laughs> Come it's, on, yeah. <laughs> it's, so it's dull we, to watch. Why we were giving up an hour of our lives to talk about football every <laughs> board. <laughs> uh, those of you who joined us uh, for the first time, I'm Darren, uh, uh, a season ticket holder at the Arsenal, very old, been watching the club for many, 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 many years. First game in 1971. The other voice you can hear is Max. Max is uh, an Englishman living in Australia uh, who, uh, I don't know, have you ever been to see a game, Max? Uh, never been to the Emirates, never been to Highbury. No, so okay, has some quality here. Uh, we're normally joined by Liam. Liam is, uh, has has some technical issues at the moment, but we don't normally get let him get a word in edgeway, so I don't think anyone's going to miss you yet, Liam. Uh, but he's at his girlfriend's tonight, so he's got some setup problems, he said. Yeah, some, some, some setup problems for his Skype shagging later. He needs all the bandwidth, Darren. He needs all the bandwidth to make sure he gets that out on his other channel. Liam uh, shagged. Follow him. He's at Liam Shags. Uh, so back to Arsenal. I guess the other thing why I'm so bored with this at the moment, I'm enjoying watching Arsenal, but A, we can't score goals, and B, outside of the Europa League, didn't you find our loss at the weekend just ended our season? You know I mean? It ended the the interest. Um, there was always that thing, can we get in the top six? Can we get in the top four? Well, now we're just losing. We've lost so many games this year and everybody's trying to help us. Spurs are on a terrible run. Liverpool on a terrible run. There's, you know, there's teams dropping like stones. Wolves are on a terrible run. And yet we're on a terrible run still. We've gone back to back to how we were. So do you feel like that? Do you feel like the season is, is sort of done now? Yeah, league-wise? yeah, look, I feel like we've, in a way, returned to the mean if you get what I mean. I was never one of these people who, you know, unlike you, Darren, the, the positive gooner. Um, I wouldn't say that I'm a negative Arsenal fan. I try and focus on the positives, but I've been saying for for most of this season and even since we started our good run that I felt that that was a period in time and that clubs have periods in time, periods in seasons. Um, and that it wouldn't take a lot. It would only take a couple of injuries or a couple of losses 
momentum is definitely a, a, a funny thing. Uh, and momentum is something that I feel that we lost in that Wolves game. Best 30 minutes that we'd played all year to go and get two red cards, to come out against Villa, lose a, an early goal, have Villa a very good back foot, back foot defensive team. Tyrone Mings, very good back foot defensive player. And they sat there and they let us come to them. And actually, weirdly, Darren, I, I actually thought the Villa game, I thought that everything we did offensively up until we got to the front three was very good. I liked our pattern play. I liked the way we moved the ball. I thought Thomas Party had another very good game. I thought the Party Xhaka midfield was very good again. And it just got to the final third. And it's like, if you're going to keep relying on, on someone like Saka to keep banging in goals for you, and you're going to have a striker like Lacazette. I was reading a stat the other day. This was the 11th game he's played this year where he had zero attempts on goal. Now, regardless of regardless of his hard work, you know, regardless of the way people like to view him, regardless of, I guess, the, the credit that he has in the bank for doing all the dirty work, you've still got a guy who's dropping into midfield constantly who doesn't want to do the, I guess, the primary role or the main thing that he's meant to do as a striker. Um, and it led, again, to a pretty boring, we struggle to score goals. We, we create a couple of very beautiful moments per game. And once again, Darren, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult to watch a team when every week when we're doing our score predictions online, you know, people try and say, oh, it's going to be 4-3, oh, it's going to be this. And I'm always like, it's going to be fucking 1-0, 1-1. Because that's the type of football team we are. Well, Liam, Liam's joined us. Hello, mate. Howdy. I'm about me to cut me wrists listening to Max moan about football. Already? It's not taken long. <laughs> well, we started by saying this. You missed the early part of the pod. Uh, we started by saying how, how bored we are at the moment with football. There's just too much of it on. A game every night. Saturdays, there's four games, one after the other. Sunday, the same. It's just wall-to-wall football. And I think because we're not challenging for anything, it's suddenly just got a little bit dull. I'm I still love watching Arsenal. I'm loving watching these young kids. And I think we're six to 12 months away from having a really, really good side. But it's a little bit dull at the moment. Are you still enjoying watching us? <laughs> or are you still enjoying <laughs> watching football? Not us. Uh, I haven't actually watched a lot of football. I know the FA Cup's been on this week, but I can't say I've watched it, even if Everton Spurs, by all accounts, was a rather brilliant game. Um no, I'm in this weird place where I'm so used to having this like every three days that I've gone, we're not playing. It's been ages and I'm kind of half itching going, come on, when's the next game? When's the next game? I want to watch Arsenal. But at the same time, I'm kind of enjoying it in a weird way. Like, yeah, I mean, it's just nice a... to go, oh, there we go. I mean, it was a game on last night, Spurs-Everton uh, 5-4. God, it was... It was uh, an interesting game to watch, but it was as dull as anything. It was rubbish for it. You know, there was some really good stuff in it, and I'm still watching it thinking, hurry up and finish. I want to go to bed. Do you know, it was one of those, uh, you know, it's a, it's a very, very strange season now. We seem to have hit a wall, as far as I'm concerned, where there's just so much football. It's all a little... And, and teams just look knackered, don't they? Don't you think teams just look tired? Everyone's everyone's blowing out the arse. And, you know, even from from someone from my perspective who's who's not a season ticket holder and doesn't live there, I'm finding the TV experience without crowds difficult as well, repetitive, because the sound of the crowd is the same, this hum. I I even took the other day to turning the turning the commentary off, just uh, not the commentary, sorry, the crowd noise off, just so that I could actually listen to something else. It sounds like Saturday like morning football, though, doesn't it? I mean, that's, <laughs> that's my issue with it, is I've tried it without the crowd noise, and it just sounds like watching a game over at Hackney Marshes. Uh, for those of you yeah. who don't come from England, the only really, only really interesting about... thing is listening to the keepers communicate, like listening to how much the keepers talk and how much the centre backs. So it's, that's the only thing that I found for twenty minutes. I was like, oh, this is it, it's kind of what I do when I play five aside. I yell at everyone and no one listens to me. Pick him <laughs> well, up. I, I just Pick like him welcome, up. <laughs> I'd just like to welcome all of those other Arsenal fans who are that bored that they're listening to us tonight live or watching us live. It is Thursday night live. Where does that comment? Let me get my glasses again. That was one that I really liked there. Uh, good evening to everyone who's joined us. Lots of you joined us tonight. That's lovely to see. Uh, there you go. <laughs> Why not? Sentiment FC. Crikey, Max, your hair. You look like Donny Osmond. 
<laughs> Look, I, I wish I knew your name, Why Not Sentiment FC, because it's a bloody long Twitter handle. Uh, but um, he won't remember Donny Osmond. Come on, Liam and Max are about 12. <laughs> I genuinely have got no idea. I was young when Donny Osmond was out. <laughs> Mate, you were young when Jesus was born. <laughs> I wasn't. I was middle-aged. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe that's just how I feel. Uh, yeah, Spurs uh, Spurs are still keep me a little bit entertained. I mean, we've had this conversation before. Max, you said you don't watch Spurs. They're the only other team I really do watch because I like watching them lose. Uh, or Obviously, if they're winning a game, I turn it off pretty sharpish. But uh, it was fun last night to watch Mourinho, uh, who, who hasn't got a very good record in the FA Cup, won it once with Chelsea when Chelsea were really dominant. But he loves to win a trophy and he's not going to win much else. So it was nice to see them suffer last night. Anyone? Did you watch that game, anyone? I watched the highlights of it. And I particularly liked the Ancelotti's nonchalant reaction to winning 5-4. Everyone's like, yeah, and Ancelotti just blows on his coffee. He's like... I wrote a note last night while I was watching um, uh, that game exactly at that moment. I was really anti the appointment of Ancelotti at Arsenal, really vehemently anti. And uh, the reasoning behind that was very much that, you know, we just had 22 years of Arsene Wenger and much as I'm a huge Arsene Wenger fan and would love him still to be at the club in some capacity, I thought going down the Ancelotti route was getting one of these pre premier managers that just do the circuit, you know, and there's two calls join them now and there's, there's these these Ranieri's that the sort of uh, managers that have managed at all of the top clubs. Mourinho's another one, and I didn't. I thought I'd rather see Arsenal, you know, go for something new. I was very much at the uh, the Bournemouth manager or even Sean Dyche, somebody just a little bit different, somebody who was a little bit younger. But watching Ancelotti, Ancelotti has done everything, and yet he's taken on a a five year program, a, a five year plan at uh, Everton. And they've also backed by a lot of money. Osmanov, who used to be at Arsenal, has now obviously gone there. They've got plenty of money to spend. Building a new stadium down at the Albert Dock um, It's going to be, a, you know, it's a club that is really got a plan and a process. And watching Everton play, he's got a very, very average group of players playing pretty well this year. You know, mm. uh, do, you, do you look at, when you watch Ancelotti now, do you, do you think we should have taken him? Because he was available and we could have got him. Liam? No, I wasn't keen pretty much for the same reasons as you. I felt like we kind of needed a, a clean break and go somewhere new if we were going to develop rather than get stuck kind of in this weird place of limbo almost where we're not really doing anything. I felt like we needed to develop somewhere. So, yeah, Ancelotti is doing, probably doing a reasonably pretty good job at, at Everton. Um, but that doesn't mean he's necessarily right for us. Max, have you got any thoughts on Ancelotti? Would you like to see him come? Yeah, I wasn't. So I was okay with Ancelotti if Ancelotti happened. My preference at the time was for um, Rafa Benitez. At the time, was the was the manager who I wanted. I thought that coming out of this period of time and having gone into the Emery era immediately, I felt there was a bridging period, a, a two-season bridging period, that probably someone who had experience, who had the man management experience, the runs on the board, just to be able to get us through as a whole until we got to what we knew was inevitably going to happen, which if anyone listens to us, bros, we've been saying forever, it was all about 2021. The whole time it was about 2021. It didn't matter what happened. It was about getting to 2021, getting to the end of the Ozil contract, the Mustafis, the Kalasinaks, moving all of these people on. So at We're the ready. time, I didn't, I didn't dislike the idea of an Ancelotti because I thought... Well, we're bringing in a guy who's got experience with big names, big players, who's also very much a man manager. He's a guy who people like to get around, you know, have a cuddle with you, have a glass of wine, eat a bottle of pasta with you, you know, and he brings in experienced coaching staff. In saying that, do I have in any way any disappointment or any regret that we've got Arteta? No, I would have had we had hit the panic button and and you know, punted Arteta out. So I still think that the club's in the exact position I always thought the club was going to be in, maybe a little bit lower down the table than what I thought we would end up. But like I said, bridging period, Darren's choking to death on mute. Um, 
bridging period. And I think, unfortunately, for Arteta, he has had to coach through this bridging period, which I always knew was going to happen. And I think that bridging period was set up for a more mature manager. Yeah. And you mentioned Mesut Ozil there. We've gone, I don't know, a year without really mentioning him on this podcast because we just I'm bored with the whole Ozil thing. But I, had, uh, I was having a beer tonight with me mate Dean, uh, Chelsea fan, and he said that Ozil wrote a beautiful leaving statement talking in real high regard for the club oh, and the classy nature. Fuck now, Mesut Ozil. No, 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 no. I didn't read it. Uh, obviously, I read I've got. It. Okay, so you know he didn't. He could have just walked away and said nothing, but he walked away saying lots of nice no, things. No, because he's a spineless fucking piece of shit, run by his media marketing team, and he couldn't leave and say go fuck yourself. He had to leave one final parting blow, which was to say, "I have never done anything but the right thing for this club. I have loved this club. Thank you so much." Just to divide and conquer the Arsenal fan base one more time. Fuck that slug. Fuck him. Someone put salt on him. Shrivel him up in fucking Fenerbahce. And all you fucking shit-ass Mesut Ozil fans can go buy your Fenerbahce shirts now and go watch the cunt play at left back. Fuck off. <laughs> Is that how you read it, Liam? <laughs> no, I've read it as nothing more than a PR statement. It's simple as that. I like Ozil as a player. As a person, I, I'm not, not keen. Um, not quite willing to go to the extent Max is. Um, but no, I've I read it as nothing more than a PR stunt. He said some nice things, but everyone says nice things when they leave a club because they don't want to burn their bridges just in case something in the future happens. Yeah, I can't see Mesut Ozil ever coming back as an ambassador. No, nor, club somehow. Nor, nor can I, but that's the dumb thing, isn't it? You say nice things about a club you've been at for however many years and been part of the community because he doesn't want to burn bridges with maybe his fans that's in London. or You know, it, it's nothing more than a PR statement. Simple as Mesodurs, that. Mesodurs will go down as a golden-plated shit. Valuable, <laughs> but still a piece of shit. <laughs> okay, I'm glad I brought that up. <laughs> <laughs> well, as I said, uh, my thing is, uh, you know, he doesn't make my all-time top 20 Arsenal players, and, uh, and that for somebody who's uh, probably our most expensive player, and somebody with probably up there with the most talent of anybody. That's the bit that's just going to, uh, after I think the World Cup, I think his form just deteriorated. I think he lost his interest in football, but uh, he's got more followers than Arsenal and he's he's a very influential influential man. Anyway, what else has happened this week? Well, is it, is it, Liam, it must be cold in Holland. It's been bloody freezing. Fucking here. freezing. It's, it was minus eight cold. this morning. Yeah, you got minus eight. We got minus five. We were promised minus eight, but that's bloody cold. Max, is it? 32, 32 degrees. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> yeah, it's honestly, freezing. it's been hard to function this week. It's so cold. My antifreeze froze. <laughs> <laughs> the, the little kittens want to run outside. They love being outside on the balcony. It's like a little net we've got uh, you know to what? stop them falling off. And they do won't you know stop wanting to go out there. Do you know what, Max? Liam can't go through one episode without talking about pussy, can he? I know, I know. And again, guys, if you want to follow Liam's sex channel, it's at Liam Fucks. <laughs> Liam. You 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 starred on another podcast this week. I wish I could say I listened to it. Yeah, I, last I week. I listened to any this week. How did it go? How was that? Do you want to promote yeah, it? Good. <laughs> yeah, sure. So it's in the clock end, is is what it's called. Um, they're very new. I think it was only like the tenth episode they'd ever done. Um, and they got you. Good on. Fuck you know. Yeah. That's what we do, I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I'm mega famous. No. Um, no, they're a really, really good channel. Uh, I forget the guy's <laughs> login handle, their Twitter handles, but it's called In The Clock and it's on the usual places. Uh, Steve and Kelvin are the two guys that do it. A uh, good bunch of lads. I think I'm going on with them next week at some point after Leeds. Um, yeah, they raise some interesting things. Do they let you talk more than we do? Yeah, 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 yeah. I get to talk actual football and tactics and... The stuff I like as a coach. It's great fun. That's a really nice segue. Next, yeah, I haven't got much to talk about this week. Cricket. That's been the whole of my week this week. <laughs> Maybe that's it. How, how, how did you, uh, Max? I mean, obviously, you. I don't know if you're a cricket fan, but big, was big it cricket fun? Man. Was it fun watching India come back and beat Australia? <laughs> <Did> you, <laughs> was that, 
Uh, mate, any cricket in Australia is boring as batshit because they use the kookaburra ball, which swings for about 35 seconds. The pitches are all drop-ins. And unless you're a six-foot-five animal hitting the deck at 145 kilometres per hour, you get nothing out of the pitch. It was amazing watching James Anderson get that ball to reverse on the on the last day. Like, But there's no point bringing him to Australia. He's got the worst record in Australia ever. So the Ashes next year, just bring the five youngest kids that you've got who all throw the ball down hard because there's 500 runs opening day in every Australian drop-in pitch. But the, uh, I mean, obviously, I was talking about uh, it being a good week for cricket. Watching England beat us, uh, India in India was uh, was kind of special. Everything once you won the toss, everything went right. Taking mm. twenty wickets against India. I know this is a football podcast, but I'm just trying. We didn't have a game this week. <laughs> so I'm just trying to talk about what's going on in my my world. In my world, it's bloody cold, and I've been and obviously I, I've spent the last five years living in India. So uh, I was kind of keen to see us beat beat the. Um, Beat the Indians. Maxie's playing. I'm having, hair, I'm having hair issues. I'm getting a bit distracted because we obviously can see each other with modern technology now. We can, uh, you know, I've got colour television and everything. You know, I mean, uh, we've got, <laughs> <laughs> we got <laughs> this modern technology. I can actually see Max. And Max is having a real kind of bad air day. <laughs> I'm usually wearing a hat when I get up in the morning. I and think I'm this really, is the first time. Can see why. Really, yeah. can see why you do. I've got bed head. Yeah, as I said to you earlier, Max, I, I do plan. It's in my bucket list. Who knows what will happen this year? Who knows if we're ever going to be allowed out of our homes? But uh, I do tend to, I do plan to come over next year to see the Ashes. So maybe we'll tie up then. Uh, what else has gone on this week? We talked about Spurs um, cricket. Uh, There's something I, I thought was kind of an interesting subject to try and uh, talk about. Um, Saka and Emil Smith Rowe have been pretty much outstanding since they uh, since they first came into the into the side. Do you know Saka and Emma Smith Rowe have never played in front of a crowd. You know, they've never played in front of a crowd. Do you Saka think has. Well when has Saka played in front of many? Uh, uh, yeah, played, break breakthrough breakthrough season you. under breakthrough season under Emery. Yeah, Emery's the one, I who, guess, blo- Emery's I the one maybe, who blooded him. All right, maybe my point is, and certainly with Emil Smith Murray, maybe my point is, is that was Saka? Yeah, I mean, Saka, I guess, did play at left back, but other young Smith Rowe at Huddersfield. You know, they, they're coming through now. Is it easier for them to play, or are they going to get better or worse? Young players in general. I think it's. I think it's definitely easier, Darren, for young kids. Mm. Uh, I think it's easier for them actually than it is for some of the pros. So I was having this conversation about Aubameyang and Aubameyang's massive dip in form, and I actually account a lot of Aubameyang's dip in form to the fact that he doesn't have, I, I don't know whether you'd call it, like he's got so much look at me, look at me about him, like I drive a diamond-plated Lamborghini, I do forward flips, I, I hide masks, and I think that he's really struggled with the fact that there aren't crowds there and there's no one to play up to, and he he can't get his dick hard for it. Whereas your Sackers and your Smith Rosen guys, those they're not so far removed from playing in the junior systems, in the under-19s, in the under-21s, where they're very used to playing without crowds. And they're very used to that high level of communication and being able to hear the coach talk to them. And I do think that that's helped young kids come through because they're essentially getting in-game coached, in-game coasted through, and it's going to help with their development long-term. But like I said, the flip side to that is I do think you start to see some drop-off from some of these players who are used to the the adulation and the energy coming from the crowd. Is that, do you reckon that's why William is perhaps underperforming? And other players played all his life, all of his career, coming to the end of his career, and now he's running out onto like a training pitch situation because they don't have the he crowd was, noise. No, he was fine post uh, uh, post um, lockdown and, and all that at the end of last season for Chelsea. It was fine for Chelsea at the end there. Mm, I, I don't, I honestly, I, I was having this conversation with my mate who's a Chelsea fan the other day and he was adamant, absolutely adamant that he was gutted that Willian left last season, gutted. He was like, give him a one-year yeah, extension. Well, Chelsea, he was, mate, it, mate. Yeah, same thing. I had a few, no, no Chelsea fans I know turned around and said, shit signing, Willian's a piece of shit. He's not going to do anything for you. He was like, mate, great squad player, rotate him in, can play left, can play right can play through the middle if you need him. 
So who knows? Who knows? There's no... It's not like there's some kind of a precipice, some kind of a cliff physically that he's fallen off, but perhaps you're right, Darren. Perhaps it's a cliff that mentally he's fallen off. Maybe at this stage in his career, having played this much football and and moving to a new club under a new coach, maybe without... I I don't know whether he's a crowds-driven guy or not, um, but I, I can't put my finger on why he would have gone to shit. It's very possible he just doesn't fancy... Um, Mikel Arteta or he just doesn't fancy the club I'd be very surprised if William was with us at the end of the year I, I, I don't necessarily think we're going to be able to sell him but I'd be very surprised if he doesn't bugger off on loan to somewhere else see out his contract on loan uh, Leo, come on, Dazza, don't make excuses for that ponce. I guess that's uh, with reference to my comments to William. I- I'm certainly not making excuses for him. I'm just trying to understand, you know, football's so different. We're watching it with piped-in crowd noise, but just turn that crowd noise off and suddenly you've got a training situation. And that's what these games are almost like. Um, you know, more away wins in the Premier League than ever there was football before the Premier League, much football before the Premier League. This is the first time in top flight football there's been more away wins and home wins. So it's got to be something to do with the crowd. So we we really do underestimate. And I just wonder if you played at the top level in front of, you're coming towards the end of your career, you're winding down and you're playing in front of an empty stadium. Maybe that is just, you know, affecting performances. I really don't know. Um, let's have a look. Got any, go on, Liam. So, yeah, I just wanted to go back to the young players. I think it's easier for them to integrate, but from there it then becomes a bit of a mental game, as in do you then go, oh, shit, now I've got to do this in front of crowds, or do you try and go, look, you've got the crowds on your side, now they're here to watch you, they want to show off, show off to these guys. And Lacazette wanted to do it as well. Um, Lacazette in the, what game was it? Was it Dundalk or Victoria? When we had the fans back, very briefly. And um, he scored a weldy in about 10 minutes, didn't he? Uh, um, yes, he did, yeah. Yeah, so well, I think the keeper they... dived out of the way of it a bit, but yes, he did, yeah. Possibly, but he had the bollocks to actually take it on. And since then, he was brilliant until he's not been recently. So I think yeah. crowds do make that difference. And I think not having a crowd makes it easier for youngsters to integrate. But then it's about their mental state and how they want to perform when they yeah, come back. And I, I think they will do quite well. I think that's, um, what I, that's what I meant about Aubameyang, Liam. That you know, I just I can't see him running out there, the type of player that he is, the type of personality that we know he is, and, and feeding off off that kind of training ground. He looks like a guy at the training ground who'd just knock it around a bit and be like, "Oh yeah," and then he gets out on game day, and in that situation, in that moment. You know, he goes and cunts one into the top corner. Yeah, I guess, you see, the thing is, where the comment came from is that I, part, I am a season ticker at the Emirates. I've been to football most every other Saturday for the best part of 40 years. Um, that crowd at Arsenal isn't always very nice to anyone, no matter if they're homegrown or anything. They get on your back. They give you a real lot of pressure, you know, and I'm, I just wonder is, is, you know, Saka makes a mistake and all the crowd start, you know, groaning and grumbling. Saka then starts to... Um, lack the the confidence to go and try things that he, he would normally try or he's trying now because there's no no one telling him he's, he's crap. You know, I mean, Arsenal fans aren't particularly nice in that stadium and there's a, a definite pressure that isn't there. I just think it's helping some, but you're right, maybe some players are just uh, struggling without it. Uh, mm. Uh, what did I say? There was a couple of um, couple of comments I'd like to to go to. Thanks for sending in these. Um Really interesting point here. Saka being kicked to shit against Villa. I'm concerned about his injuries and refs not looking after our players' welfare. I mean, I think that was the the, the biggest thing that came out of that game at the weekend for me was that the, the, the Villa players took it in turns to take out our players. You know, there's quite a lot of bookings because the refs are now stopping it. But there was he really was getting kicked to bits. And that's going to be something he's probably going to have to put up with throughout his career now. His players are just going to kick him. And on the flip side of that, Grealish falls down at the touch of a feather, you know, and mm. uh, he's the most fouled player in the Premier League. But when you look at it, he just feels the slightest contact and flies to the floor. I love watching Grealish play football, but he's in that Harry Kane and, and Son uh, type of player for me that I just can't stand it. It's ruining our game of football. Uh, what else uh, have we got? Um, there's another comment about your hair. Max's hair hasn't left the 90s. That's from Scunny. 
<laughs> Fuck you, Scanny. Uh, what have we got? Um, let's have a look. Anything else? I hate William. I don't hate a lot of things, but William. I knew he was finished and he'd be shit. Return him to Bifferbin. <laughs> I don't know what Bifferbin is. <laughs> uh, thanks for all that. Um, those questions. Keep them coming in. We'll talk about them. Uh, what else happened this week? Mike Dean. Oh, I, was, I was about to get to this. I was about to get to this, Darren, but thank you for, for getting there for me. So keep going. <laughs> Mike Dean, I, I, you know, I, I, I've sworn more on this podcast than I generally do in my 100, 200 podcasts that I've done in the past. Uh, but I did have a podcast about two years ago that was actually titled and went out as Mike Dean is a cunt. And I think it's the only... <laughs> It's the only time I really use that word with, you know, when it's right. It's actually used in its correct term. I've never liked Mike Dean. I actually think he's got better as a referee. I really mean that. And it's strange what we're about to talk about. I actually think Mike Dean has got better and better and better as a referee. What I don't like about him is Mike Dean. He has that air about him that the game's all about him. The way he struts about, the way he looks, uh, it just irritates me. It winds me up. I hate Mike Dean. So this last seven days, we've seen Mike Dean send off two players and both, uh, both, both were looked at by VAR, both were looked at at the monitor by Mike Dean and both were bad decisions. Where, is, where do I go with Mike Dean now? I mean, I'm at, the, I'm at the limit with him. I thought he's getting better as a referee. I don't know if you've seen those two decisions, you two. Liam, I can't see you, by the way. You've got no camera on. But that's okay. I know you're still there. As Mike Dean, you know, I mean, what should happen? What, what, what? Football's gone. Football is not making any sense to me anymore. We've brought in a, a system called VAR to take out the howlers, to take out the bad decisions. Now we're getting a second referee and the decisions are getting worse, not better. Can anyone, I'll tell you what, either, let me put this the other way. Can any of you two support Mike Dean in those two decisions that he made? For those of you Can who, I uh, for the, let me just say, Liam, I'll come straight to you. For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, Mike Dean sent off a Southampton player in the first two minutes against uh, Manchester United. Manchester United went on to win one, um, went on to win nine nil. Uh, I rewatched that again tonight. There is, it's a bit like the David Luiz incident, where it's a sort of accidental uh, nip. Except when you look at it in slow motion, it's hard to see if there was any contact at all. And the player definitely threw themselves to the floor. Mm. And in my opinion, you go over and look at that on a monitor, you book the player, Martial, I think it was, you book the player, and it's a free kick to uh, Southampton. In the second situation, um, who was it? It was a. I can't remember the game. I can Suchek, remember West Ham. Suchek, West Ham. You're right. He's getting pulled and pushed by a big lamp of a, a centre, you know, of a centre half. He um, throws his arm out to push him away, and obviously, accidentally catches him with his elbow in the face. Once again, the player who was the player, Liam, who went down. Uh, Mitrovic. I Mitrovic. Think. Mitrovic. Six foot seven. Built like a brick shit house, gets a little bump on the nose and goes down rolling around the floor like Harry Kane. And yet you look at that, we all look at it 10 times and think, oh, he didn't mean that, there's no intent. So the referee goes and looks at the situation, goes and looks on the monitor and comes and, you know, you think once again he's going to go, nothing in there, accidental. I'd book the player for rolling around on the floor. But no, what happens? He sends him off. So, where do we go with this? Well, talk to me, Max. I, I can't tell you. Liam's on mute. So, Max, I think Liam's on mute because somebody's making a cup of tea right behind him. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, I, I just think that there needs to be accountability for decisions and there needs to be a, a, a points-based system for these referees to be getting the right decisions. And if they're not getting the right decisions, then they go down to the, the lower tiers and we start dragging some people up. Really, it's a question for the depth of our, our, co our not coaching, the depth of our refereeing ranks, I guess. And it's about, I mean, we don't have any English representatives at World Cup 
football anymore. There's a reason for that because at the international level, our refs aren't seen to be good enough. You know, there's so much stuff online about it being that there's a conspiracy against Arsenal. I don't believe there's a conspiracy against Arsenal. I believe that the refs are awful. I believe that the decision-making is awful. I believe that VAR has added another layer into something that was already... Another layer into something that was already very different from player to player, from coach to coach, from referee to referee. The way the game gets seen and the way it gets played, the way football exists is there's so much subjection around it. And the rules aren't necessarily black and white. This was my argument when people were saying about David Luiz. I said, I'm fine with the decision with David Luiz because there is contact. And for me, that is black and white. So if that's going to be the decision every single week, if there is contact, it is a penalty. I'm fine with that because it removes the referee from having to make a subjective decision. And then it removes VAR from having to make a subjective decision. And all that VAR has to come back and say to the referee is, camera three, look at the close-up, there is contact. That's it. Then it's a penalty. Then everyone can shut the fuck up and stop talking about conspiracies. But until you get the rules black and white, which is very, very difficult in football, you're fucked. Look at the offside rule. There's a great thing that came out last year. I believe it came from Suness, who I think is a fucking idiot most of the time when he talks. But he was talking about just putting a resistance on there. So making the line for the offside VAR thing double the thickness and saying that is the resistance to get rid of all of these minute little offsides. That you just put a resistance and that resistance is the camera from frame to frame. You just say, we can't get it exact. So that's the resistance if you're within that. Now, that's a way that you then go and make that if basically any anything over the line, therefore, has to be offside because the resistance is set to a certain level. Let's just fucking make the rules understandable so we don't spend another fucking four weeks listening to every idiot. And I'm sorry for guys in the in the messenger group if, if you're one of these people. I'm, I'm sorry that, that I'm about to call you an idiot, but you are. But all these fucking people on Twitter talking about the conspiracies and looking at videos of all of the decisions that go wrong. The beauty of football, one of the amazing, beautiful things about football has always been you kind of get as many as you don't across the season. Lauren Koscielny, uh, what was it? FA, uh, no, uh, Sanchez, FA Cup into his own hand. There's a Lauren Koscielny goal that I think got us top four in the game against Newcastle and finished us above Tottenham a few years back. That was a fucking handball went in off his hand and he nailed it. You get what you're given. That's it. There are so many better ways of doing this, but the constant conversation about whether or not there's bias against the team, I think you have to look at it and you have to say two things. Number one, the referees are getting the decisions wrong and VAR are getting the decisions wrong. We have the wrong referees and the wrong people in VAR. On the flip side of that, if the rules are set up in such a way that they are allowed to apply subjectiveness and therefore given the ability to apply bias if there is bias, then that is fundamentally flawed. We're the biggest game in the world. Change the fucking rules. Thank you, Max. <laughs> <laughs> if you, those of you who are not watching live, Max just nodded at the end of that as if to say, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Liam, I'm, I'm at the point, and I, I, you know, I do want to talk about this myself, but I'm at the point where, you know... Uh, I've watched a lot of football. I know I keep going on, I'm old, but I've watched a lot of football without VAR. I was very much against it coming in in the first place and for lots of reasons. It just takes away that real excitement when you score a goal because you're not sure whether it's going to be offside or not. You're not sure. It's, it, it just takes it. We all watch football to watch our team score goals and it, it, it's gone. Um, where, where are you now with this? You know, you just heard what Max has to say. Where are you on this situation? Um, at risk of repeating myself, what VAR has done for me is is lose any sympathy for referees because I, I was a qualified referee myself. I, I qualified at the age of 14 and only gave it up at 18 um, just because working full-time and things like that got in the way. The, the, the thing is, the thing I always used to say before a game was, I'm human, I don't have 360-degree field of vision, uh, things I'll miss and I'll make mistakes but you'll make mistakes in this game of football as well. So just give me some leeway. 
the problem with VAR is you eliminate that that possibility because you have a camera that can see it when your eyes can't. So when you physically go over, look at a screen that's giving you the information that you missed and you still don't apply that information properly, I lose sympathy for a referee that you can simply say, that was a close call, could have gone either way, didn't quite see it. Shit happens when that's the case. But when you've got VAR there, a tool to help you see the things that you can't as a referee, I lose sympathy because it's so obvious that these rules are not being applied correctly. Uh, in some cases, Max is absolutely right. There's subjectivity and it's written into the rule book far too much. has to mm. change the rules. But the things that are black and white, I lose sympathy. I have no sympathy when they can't make a decision that is so easy to see. And the other problem I had with VAR, if Peter Walton is anybody to go by and he's right, he says that VAR isn't there to get decisions right. He said VAR is there to give referees uh, or vindicate a referee's decision, to find a reason why the decisions was correct. But the mandate of the review, the, the uh, independent panel, is actually to get the decision right. So what's the point of having VAR? If you're not using it to get decision right and you're just trying to tickle the referee's bollocks during the game, what's the point of it? That's where I do believe that, you know, there's a couple of people in the comments talking about the refs union and the old boys and looking after each other. That's where I do believe there is some, I don't want to use the word conspiracy, but that's where I do believe there is some ball tickling and, and an appetite to make sure that the referee's decisions are seen as right, not seen as wrong. Because there are, there are clear cases this year where things have gone to VAR and it, you're looking at it, you're like, well, that is easily overturned. Easily overturned, it hasn't been. And it has to be so obvious, like the Emil Smith-Rowe overturn. It's almost like to yeah. be overturned, it has to be so obvious. And again, like I said, it's another layer of, of subjection. I said years ago, and everyone cracked it at me. This was on a – it would have been two years ago on a Guns and Yellow Ribbons podcast. would have been on with Fergus and Manny. And I said, I think the handball rule should be that if the ball touches your hand in any situation, if the ball makes contact with you anywhere from the elbow to the fingertip in any situation, regardless of whether it's behind your back, behind your head, up your ass, wherever, it's a handball. I said, that's how you fix handball. You just say, the ball can't hit your fucking hand, champion. So it's your job, regardless of whether the guy's two meters in front of you or not, it's your job to move your hand, turn your body, and if it hits your hand, and over the course of the season, it will even out. It will even out. And we'll see penalties. Fantastic. More yeah. goals. More goals for the Premier League. Bring it on. But no, it, they change the rule again, and the handball ball becomes, oh, it has to be in a natural position. The fuck is a natural position? It's another layer of subjectivity, and I don't think it's fair on the referees. I don't think it's fair on the crowds, and I think that's why we end up having these Twitter battles about decisions. I just, you know, I, I understand both your, your points of view, but for me, VAR hasn't just hasn't enhanced our game at all. I think the only thing I like that has happened with the introduction of VAR is the fact that the linesmen don't, or oh, I can't even call them linesmen anymore, can I? The assistant referees um, don't flag instantly. Because a lot of times they'll make a bad decision, and and the players will stop because the because there's a flag gone up and the whistle's blown. So I quite like the fact they play out that scenario to see what will happen. I like that. It's the only thing. But outside of that, I don't think it's brought anything to the game. No, you know we've had maybe five percent of the VAR situations have been you know useful. So I go back to something that I've always said: if we're going to have VAR and it is here to stay, I really do think. With some trial and error, we should bring in the uh, the situation they have in cricket. And I know cricket's a very much a stop-start game. But I think we should just give each team one, probably maybe two, but one chance to appeal a decision. That can be anything that's related to violent conduct, goal-scoring opportunity, whatever you like. Even if it was a corner or a throw-in, don't care. One chance to appeal in a game. One chance. Yeah. And then the can game I give will you the... continue. The game, sorry, can let I... me finish. You both have Sorry, Darren. The, the, the game will continue as the game has continued for hundreds of years. The game will be played out. 
And if there is a real miscarriage of justice, then the captain of the side can actually say, no, referee, you've made a mistake. I want that checked. Just the Omri ha- handball against Ireland. Yeah. You know, for I mean, example. And then, and then, you know, if, you, and if, you, if you're successful in that appeal, if a decision is made incorrectly, then you can keep that appeal. Now, I know that will bring in certain times where players will just appeal against, you know, you score a last-minute winner and they'll appeal it. But so what? You know, then if they're right, they're right. If they're wrong, they're wrong. It would just take the referee, the, the game back to the referee, as Liam said very eloquently. He would say to his players, I'm human, I make mistakes. But majority of those mistakes, as you say, Max, what goes around comes around, it all evens itself out. It does. And if there's something terrible, my one for me is the Lampard goal in the semi-final or quarter-final of the World Cup, where he, was it Lampard, where he, the ball goes a yard over the line. Obviously, goal line technology has changed that. But that's a goal. That sort of thing you could say, I appeal that. And then mm. that would just bring it back in. And I also, in that same scenario, each team, has one appeal each, one chance to appeal a decision. And also the referee, if he wants to, can ask to see something again, even if it's not appealed. If he's not sure, if something's gone on, if the player's laying on his back pretending that he's been punched, then the referee can actually go back and make a decision on that incident. And I think that would just solve a lot of the problems. And even when I say the one thing I like about VAR, let the linesman let the play carry on and then put his flag up if it was offside. And then the team still have the chance to appeal if the, you know, if they think it was a fair goal. So that's how we fix VAR to me. That's how we fix this situation. And we make football fun to watch again. I'll just give you an example of how that system killed one of the most elated moments for me this year. So State of Origin, I know I often bring up Rugby League. State of Origin is played between two states in Australia and it is the three hardest fought, best games of sport in the world played across any code, right? It's the most tribal game. Everyone fights. It's amazing. It's a three-game series. The series this year came down to the last play of the last game in the last minute when it was all tied up. And my team's Queensland, the other team's New South Wales. New South Wales are on the they're 20 metres out from the try line Something happens. Queensland go and win it. It's huge. It's historic, right? We're all jumping up and down. The opposing captain puts in his ref's call. Right in that moment. I mean, the final whistle has gone. And all of the adulation and running into the crowd, the whole team has to stop, come back. We get like a three or four minute look at this where they look at it from four or five different angles. The referee then says, no, it's a knock on. But because I had blown the final whistle anyway, it now doesn't matter because the game had stopped and we'd gone into 90 minutes, so a technicality. And all of the emotion and all of the adulation, it disip- like, a, like the air coming out of a balloon, Darren. It just dissipated in that moment. you know. And I, I think about the in-ground experience. And I think about the last-minute winner, winning a World Cup, winning an FA Cup, winning a League Cup, beating Manchester United, you know, and the ball flies in, and then someone's going to say, oh, well, let's just have a look at it. You know, the ball goes in from 30 yards out, and everyone's and, and the guy's like, let's just have a look at it. And I'm interested, Darren, you're the only one who's a season ticket holder, and you will have watched football with crowds with VAR, definitely. Would have been a, a full season of watching VAR. You know, from a, a, a enjoyment perspective, from a perspective of when the goal goes in, and that influx of emotion and all of that dopamine running through your brain as you get excited. How is that, from an in-ground experience, how has VAR improved that in any way for you? Because surely you must just be like, yes, and then you look up at the screen and go, oh, we'll just wait for another two minutes to celebrate a second time. Yeah, I mean, as you know, I I appeared and hosted uh, um, the Clock End Talk podcast for quite a long time while Tez was out injured. And me and Tony uh, used to battle off. Liam, you were involved in or sitting there as a... Sitting there watching popcorn. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) me and Tony used to argue with each other. And it's kind of weird. uh, And I'm bringing this up because there was something that Tony said, also a season ticket holder, home and away, great fan, knowledgeable football fan. And we don't agree on a lot of subjects, but... 
we argued, really argued when VAR came in because he was all for it. And I said it will stop fans um, celebrating. And he made a big point about, no, at the weekend, he said, we celebrated like mad and then it went to VAR and then the goal was still given and we all celebrated twice. It was fantastic. About a month later, we we're still doing the same podcast and he just had to say, Darren, I'm sorry, you're right. He said, it's, it's taking that excitement away because actually now we're used to VAR a goal goes in and it's in the back of your mind. Is it okay? Is it okay? And it just takes away that, that in the, we all watch football for that moment of exhilaration. Football's an escape for lots of us. It's certainly an escape for me. I get away from my wife. I get away from work. I go and meet up with some mates. I drink some beer. I watch some football. It's a, it's a very emotional, fabulous day. I come back from a 12 hour football day drained and it's the highlight of my life. And I, I miss it dreadfully now at the moment with all of this um, global pandemic. But so it's just, it just dies. And I've just seen a comment come in um, saying that three, you should get three appeals a game. No, because if you much. get three appeals a game, we just be appealing everything. Just one appeal. And if the appeal's right, you keep it. it I would say one appeal, just... one appeal per half. One appeal yeah, per well, half. You know, I'd go, yeah. I'd go as little as one I'd go one per, per game. game. Yeah, one Don't per have game. that many decisions. When I, started, when I started by saying this, I actually said you'd have to bring it in and adjust it because you'd be able to see. You know, when they brought in cricket, it was it was one and then it was two and now it's three. So it might work better that way. But you don't want people appealing for everything. I even, find, really... I even find cricket has too many, Darren. There's too many in cricket. Agreed, it's yeah, constant so... and relentless fucking DRSing. The, the only issue with cricket, and I'm a huge test cricket fan, is it's a five-day game that stop-start. So it's, you know, there's, there's lots of breaks in that game. Football is a mm. fluid, fluent, beautiful game to watch. Um, let me give you a really good example of what I'm talking about with uh, VAR uh, or the lack of use where, where it just is nonsense. I don't know if you remember our game at the weekend. Thomas Party got booked. Thomas Party got booked because the player, he trod on his foot, screamed like a little girl. Yeah, just the play just screamed. You could hear it over the crowd noise, this scream. The referee didn't see the incident. You could tell he didn't see the incident because the game was uh, had moved on. There was an attack. And then he went back and booked Thomas Party. Now, when they showed that in slow motion afterwards, Thomas Party was just in his running stride. He didn't do anything illegal. It wasn't even a foul. And he got booked. So in that instance, you know, Party you know, could have missed, he could have racked up five bookings, could have missed the next game. It could have been his second booking and he would have been sent off. That's the sort of decision. Yeah, look, party can say, Captain, Jacko, do us a favour. That was not even a foul. Can you get him to check it? So, you know, mm. if you've got one appeal, you don't want to waste it. You know, you, you, I just think that one appeal is enough and it might just eradicate some of the poor decisions that referees make and some of the poor decisions referees make because they don't see everything, as Liam mentioned. And I just think at the moment it's bringing nothing. Liam, you've got something to say. Yeah, it's just it reminded me, really, that a lot of refereeing is done on instinct. Like you, look for, you don't look for the contact per se. You look for the clues that tell you there is contact because otherwise it's really fucking hard to referee a game of football. You look for the hand out. You look for a, the, the triangle on the T-shirt. Uh, you, you look for somebody leaning in certain directions, things like that. But when you've got VAR overseeing every decision, you lose instinct because you've got a, you know, if you make a mistake, you've got VAR who will try and back you up in some way or make a decision for you. So I think if you do go to one challenge, you're telling the referee you've got to use your instincts here. And referees generally, this is my hot take, I guess, referees had good instincts. They knew what they were looking for and they weren't that bad, so I'll use it loosely, that bad a referee. But you lose all instincts when you've got a, a, this safety net in VAR. And I think taking away something that makes every decision for you you get referees who rely on their instincts and start making the right decisions, yeah, and I then agree, you Liam. don't even need those I, challenges. Liam, I, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. And just because yeah, you agree know, that. you know, yeah. I like to pull stuff back to rugby league, which starts in a few <laughs> weeks, by the way. Yeah, no. But Liam, every every single every single try gets sent up to the video ref in rugby league now, right? It, they, it's very rare they just give a try, even if it's a hundred meter break, they'll go up to the video ref. And there was a report that came out last year, so. Essentially, we're adding like 10 minutes, 15 minutes a game, you know, and losing all of this adulation because everything's going up to this man who sits in a van wanking. 
but they send it up as a try or not a try, right? The ref sends it up as one or the other. So they say, I think it's a try or I think it's not a try. It's up to them to overturn it. They got 98.6% correct, the referees, last season in the rugby league. 98 point something percent correct. So you've got a 1 point something percent. And and I'll tell you what, I would say 60% of those 1 point something percent were so minute that you could forgive them. And the whole yeah. argument is, is that they're getting the decisions right anyway. But now that VAR is there, it's a constant relentless crutch for them to send it upstairs. Yeah. One of the other things I quite like about cricket, Darren, that they brought in is that they don't go and look at it as a no ball anymore. It just happens in the background and it makes a call. And this is what I was saying about bringing in that resistance on offside. Every single goal, no matter what, it takes 10 seconds to do. They bring up the last play, they put the line on there and they hit a button. You know, and then you sell And then if it is offside, there's all celebration. The ref just walks over and goes, it's offside 15 seconds later. And then everything yeah, is looked at, and you don't it. stand there looking at even from a even from yeah, a TV. Take it out, take it out completely. Let's just, just go with those I'm, decisions. What I'm, Let's I'm, go. I agree. I agree with you, Darren. But what I'm what I'm saying is, if VAR is here to stay, then there are ways that we have to find a way, not only making it work better, but making it work in the background so it's out of, out of mind, unseen. No one wants to. From a TV watcher's perspective, there is nothing entertaining about watching them draw lines and dot, dot, dot things for a fucking foreskin offside. That's not entertaining. God help the people in the stands who don't have screens, who can't see anything, who are just fucking standing there, staring into the abyss, waiting for a decision to come down when they have no idea what they're doing. I will be amazed, amazed if there isn't a massive overhaul of VAR at the end of this season. Amazed. But on the same hand, I won't be surprised if we go out and it's the same thing next season because there seems to be an arrogance or an unwillingness to admit that you could put so much trial time into this that they did in lower leagues and they did in the off-season and come out with a product that is still so subpar, we mention it almost every week. Yeah, to me, we used to moan about referees uh, and now we just moan about referees and VAR. It hasn't improved the situation. We need to do something to change it. I know we've got COVID-19, a global pandemic. Well, I think the UK strain has just made players scream more and that has to stop, yeah? There is a there is a situation now, um, Liam, you said it, a referee manages games on instinct and he will take, you know, now players are just going down and screaming. And, you know, you can hear it now when you haven't got crowd noise or you haven't got a crowd. Something needs to be done to stop. The, the game is being ruined for me. VAR is one part of it. And the way that players fall down. Football is a contact sport. It's always been a contact sport. And now it is becoming so sterile that it's just destroying the game of football. You know, every single player. I love watching Jack Grealish play football, but he falls over. 20 times a game and gets a free kick 18 times. I was incredibly pleased that he got booked um, for for doing it against Arsenal. Uh, look, we're nearly done. I just had uh, one last thing to finish with tonight. I've just seen before we came on air tonight, uh, we've got the Europa League starting again next week. Um, now, you know, the Europa League is now our, our biggest chance of getting into the Champions League for next year all our eggs in one basket. This is it. This is the, mm. the, the competition we can all get behind. And at least we're in a, a part of the season where we actually know now that that's, that's it. The league is it's going to be almost impossible for us to finish in the top four to qualify that way. So the Europa League is everything. And it makes it exciting because we're going to be resting players for the Europa League for a change. This is going to be Arsenal trying to win a competition. So tell me this. I've just seen before we come on an air that our games against Benfica, the first leg is going to be played in a neutral venue of Rome. Can anybody explain to me the thinking behind neutral venues for this? Can I just ask you a quick question? Is it going to be one leg or two? Two. Two. So they did decide on two legs. Two and away legs, goals. Two legs, away goals, two neutral venues. Why? I'm asking you, Max. I asked first. Can somebody please explain to me? 
I think it was something COVID related, as in there were restrictions that meant the players can't go to one place or the other. That was the reason behind neutral venues. Why on God's earth they decided away goals still needed to be? I think it's simply about consistency because you have to make it that, okay, so you can't play in your right stadium, so at least let's have stadiums where you can play. But, but we're then playing decided... in our stadium and Benfica are playing their stadiums every week. We are playing in those yeah. stadiums. If a team has to fly is... in a bubble to the Emirates and we have to fly in a bubble to Portugal, that's what happens. How on I'm earth not saying it makes it sense. that we fly to Rome and they fly to Rome how does that help? Darren, I'm not saying it makes sense. I'm, it's just rules. It's yeah, rules sure, around the I'm country. I'm sure someone much is. smarter than than us, or much there is more, no agen- much more agenda driven than no us. There is no one much smarter than come. us. <laughs> I mean, my my I my plan was, and I was talking to someone about this the other day. I was like, why don't you just take the week off Premier League football for Champions League and Europa League? Play them on the same weekend. Pull the week, right? Give players rest, do whatever you need to do, right? And then just go and play two legs across three days in one venue and and go to one place and don't leave that place and stay in the bubble. You play on the Thursday, you play on the Sunday. And then it's one place, you're going there, you're training in one place, it's all even, both people fly in, everything is fair. Why in the fuck would you move people to multiple? And how do away goals work? Yeah, Who's the, away? away goals still count double. Who's yeah, away? So yeah. what are they going to say? This is Arsenal's no, no. home game the first in Rome. leg is Arsenal's tie, and we're playing in Rome. But away goals count double. Yeah, that is Garbage. part of the... Honestly... It, 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 the only reason... And I'm not saying this is uh, a good Humbo, reason. Humbo's just I'm not saying... Uh, I, I haven't seen the chat. The UK uh, government have banned flights from Portugal. Yeah, so therefore, that, because we can't they, play in they, their stadium, it has to be two neutrals. Yeah, I get the reason why we have to play in neutral venues. My bigger problem is this away goals bollocks. The only explanation, and it's not a good one, I don't think, but the only reason is every other one else has to play with these away goals rule. So we have to, even though we're in two neutral venues. I think it's a bit stupid. I think everyone should just do one leg, one game. Fuck it. Whoever take whoever wins wins. Knockout. Why, less, why game, less game, less game, less risk. Why, uh, why do you just, have to get everyone just... travelling? I just want to respond to Hambo Gumble. Thanks for joining us again. Uh, I understand why. Sorry, maybe I didn't make myself clear. I understand why, you know, my wife works in Indonesia. She, if she comes home, she's got to stay in a fucking hotel rather than come home. You know, I mean, I understand the, the ban on flights. What I'm talking about is they still have they still have the disease in Italy. You know, they still have the disease in most countries. So if you are going to say there's no flights and the, the UK government desperately want football to continue, it's a huge revenue generator. There are so many players earning fortunes. They they are more tax. Think how many painters and decorators it takes to to pay the same amount of tax as Mesut Ozil. You know, so you know the government want football. Why do you think they say hey, we want the football to continue because it gives it's good for the spirit of the country. It gives us all something to get behind. No, fucking players earning a fortune, and you want to you want to make your tax revenues from it. In this day and age you can make exceptions, yeah? A private jet can fly in from Portugal into Stansted, not allowed, you know, they're met by a coach, they're taken to the ground and they can play a game of football. They don't have to meet or touch anybody. Uh, I'm not saying, you know, that's easy. I'm not saying, but you can make exceptions. If the king of fucking Portugal wanted to come here to meet the queen, is there a king in Portugal? I don't know. They could make exceptions. What I'm saying is if you want football to continue, it's 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 safer to get a team to fly in from Portugal, get on a coach, come to the ground, play the game of football, uh, than it is to fly two teams to a neutral country that's got just as many chances of them catching a fucking disease where it won't be so controlled uh, twice. <laughs> and then away goals. Right. We have done an hour. You know I like to finish on an hour. Well, guys, seeing there was nothing to talk about, I thoroughly enjoyed your company this evening. This is where you're meant to say, and we really enjoyed yours, Darren. <laughs> Fuck you, Darren. <laughs> uh, we lie. <laughs> Hang on, I've got to mute myself. I'm coughing. Darren's dying again, Liam. He's dying from coughing. He's oh, old dear. and a I've cunt. got to give up smoking. Please, someone help me. <laughs> help me, someone. Help me. Uh, I've got so many triggers for smoking. You know, waking up, that's a trigger. 
before I go to bed, that's a trigger. Getting in a car, that's a trigger. Getting out of a car, that's a trigger. Stress, that's a trigger. Watching Arsenal, that's a trigger. I've got my own smoking terrace. We had an extension built on our house this year, and we had these three sort of bifold, huge bifold doors put in, which is fabulous. So I can watch the telly from my smoking terrace out in the garden. It's been fucking freezing. Open the curtains, got a lovely big TV, and I stand out there, and I was hoping it was going to be my lucky spot, you know, so... When you really need to go, I went out there and I'd light up a cigarette. It hasn't become our lucky spot. Walking from my living room outside, I've missed two goals. <laughs> so it hasn't been lucky and uh, it's been fucking cold. Anyway, it's enough of my life. Guy sound post, I? Extensions, big windows. Winning, mate. Winning. <laughs> Can you see my T-shirt? Yeah, everybody lies. <laughs> I live in a, a one-room bed sit. I've just been knocking one out before we start. <laughs> well, that, that's a that's a trigger as well, Darren. Yeah, so that's, yeah, this... that's ten cigarettes a day right there. Yeah. Uh, anyway, look, everyone, all you guys, DWTT, Rufus Guna, uh, uh, Gumbo, Hambo, Gumble, Scunny, Rufus Gunner, if I said him. Uh, Rahul, um, uh, I didn't get to any of any of your questions. God, there's a lot of questions. Digi Scott, Kieran Garner. Wow, wow, lots and lots of questions coming today. Lots and lots of comments, lots and lots of statements. We really appreciate you being there. Sorry I didn't uh, include you too much tonight, but uh, it does make the show. Max, uh, Liam, thanks for giving up your time. Always a real pleasure to talk to you. And it was a lot of fun tonight. Thanks for joining us. Now, next week, we are going to be playing at 8 o'clock on Thursday night. In the uh, Europa League, and no, I think we're eight o'clock, aren't we? Thought it was early. Late. I shall check. Yeah, maybe you should check now while I'm waffling on, because I was going to say maybe we go Wednesday next week. Uh, um, how does that work for anyone? Uh, Wednesday will be fine for me. We can either do Wednesday or we can do a quick one after the game, nice and well, fresh, instant well, hatred reaction. While Liam checks, I'm happy to do Thursday. What time are we on, Liam? Uh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, <laughs> it's nine o'clock my time, so all right, we can do that. Ten o'clock, then we'll go ten o'clock straight after the game next week. So, if you want to join us, we'll review that game. There'll be plenty to talk about. We'll have beaten Leeds by three goals to nil. Get the money on here now. You've heard it here first, uh, and then we'll be going on to play Benfica, where we will also win three nil. Okay, yeah, that's a big double for you. You can spend your money on big windows and extensions. Thanks for joining us, and we will see you at a similar but slightly later time next week.